0: Hi, I'm Sunny Dean,
1: And I'm Scott Drakeford.
0: And this is the Publishing Radio Podcast. In 2022, we both launched debut novels in the same genre with the same publisher in the same year. But despite having very similar starts, our books, and subsequently each of our careers, went in very different directions.
1: That pattern repeats itself throughout the industry over and over. Why do some books succeed while others seem to be dead on arrival?
0: In this podcast, we aim to answer those questions and many more, along with how to build and maintain an author career.
1: Everyone signing a contract deserves to know what they're really signing up for. In an industry that loves its secrets, we'll be sharing real details from real people. We'll cover the gamut of life as a big five published author, from agents to publishing contracts, finances, and more. Welcome to the Publishing Rodeo, where we say the quiet part out loud. Uh, Today, we have Nick Eames, or Nicholas Eames, if you're reading his book cover, author of... Do you want to give your, your own introduction and pitch yourself? Sure, like, yeah.
2: Uh, I'm author of a series called The Band, uh, which right now contains a book called Kings of the Wild and a sequel called Bloody Rose, which can be read in any order. And that's about it. We're working on a on a forthcoming third book called Outlaw Empire.
1: Ah, uh, Outlaw Empire. I don't think I knew that. I did. I, I have no idea where my Kings of the Wild copy is, but I, I did find uh, Bloody Rose and put it minor conveniently behind the Top shelf. I know where mine is. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, <laughs>
0: i bought it and then everyone in my gaming group has borrowed it off me so it's with one of them at the moment
1: <laughs> i'm pretty sure my dad stole mine because yeah. he we don't live in the same city anymore and so when he buys bo- or borrows my books they're just
2: well <laughs> oh, it's a big dad
1: favorite that one <laughs> <laughs> it's got big dad energy it is yeah <laughs> yeah indeed <laughs> Uh, dads of all sorts.
2: Well, thank you both. All right, as well for having me on this podcast, I'm a huge fan of. Uh, you know, I haven't got too too many episodes so far, but I've ravenously devoured every single one of them, and it's an honor to be here.
1: Yeah, I mean this this whole podcast has been. Really wild just because, you know, Sonny and I kicked around the idea for months, maybe even over a year, right? Before Sonny was like, all right, fuck it, we're doing it. Yeah.
0: We're more threatening each other. Like, oh, we're just going (laughs) to complain. We're going to start a podcast and whine online.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, we've been kicking around the idea, but then we just finally did it and, and threw it out there. And we expected just a handful of people to even care, but it's taken off a little bit and you know we're both big fans of yours and so when you reached out we that was kind of a oh wow this might be real oh boy that was fun for us
2: you'll land some bigger fish than me if you haven't already that's for sure
1: (laughs) (laughs) depends on how you define bigger but no it's it's definitely fun to have you here sunyi or i suppose nick unless you have you know a, a better agenda i'm very interested in hearing nick just your journey into publishing and whatever you want to say generally about how you've found the industry both good and bad you know, we, we're not going to pressure you to say anything in particular, but you're also welcome to speak your mind and, and we certainly won't, <laughs> won't cut anything in edit. Yeah, let, let's hear it. How'd you get into publishing?
2: Uh, well, I was an aspiring author for a long, 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 long time. My, de- my story was definitely not one of like overnight success, that's for sure. I went to school for like theater and then I thought, well, you know, to be an actor, you need to rely so much on someone else's goodwill in order to break into the industry. I'll just be a writer instead. <laughs> Turns out that's exactly what you need, you know, times two, pretty much. So yeah, I started writing probably when I was about 25 years old is when I think I really, I mean, I was writing when I was younger too, but 25 years old is when i like, I had the book I was going to write, I started writing pretty much all the time. And I wrote this just massive tome of a book that ended up being about like 350,000 words, if not more, inspired by the authors I was reading at the time that was like, Uh, George R. R. Martin, obviously, and uh, Robert Jordan, Stephen Erickson. And it was a hot mess, especially when I first finished it. And so I kind of restarted it over and over again. And I I tried to send it out. I I was telling my brother the other day, there was a day, one of the happiest days of my life was when I wasn't even done my book. And I started submitting it, obviously, because I was an idiot. I got contacted by this agency called the New York Literary Agency. And they were like, we want to publish your book. Here's an editor we recommend. You have to pay them, blah, blah, blah. And I was obviously pretty naive at the time. But at the end of the day, I did my research and realized they were a complete scam. But uh, for a little while that morning, I was like, I'm being published. It's happening. And at this point, I was about 12 years away still from being published. Uh, it was, in fact, not happening at all. Um, <laughs> So anyways, I wrote this book for years and years and then right near the end, about like 12 years into it, I had the idea for Kings of the Wild and I sat down and wrote the first three chapters of it and really liked it. But then I, you know, I was just so intent on getting this other book published. So I went back to this other one for another, almost a year and sent it off to more agents. And it ended up intriguing one enough that he said, I'm not going to pick this up, but I'll take a look at whatever you write next. And at the time I was just about done Kings of the Wild. So also about that time, I was working at a restaurant in Vancouver and ran into Sebastian de Castell, who I knew, who's an author of his book, The Trader's Blade, I had read and loved at the time. I was the first person to recognize him in public, so he was pretty psyched about that. <laughs> and we just kind of talked about it. I was like, oh, I'm a writer too. Obviously I said that. He was, and and he was super gracious about it, and I saw him at the Writers' Festival. And then when I finished Kings of the Wild, I sent it off to that agent, who, one morning sent me an email, and I'll never forget it. He was like, I'm not saying yes, but I'm not saying no. Can we work on this together? And I was like, I'm in. I'm gold. I got myself an agent. He's not going to say no. And so we workshopped it for, for months, and he made, you know, made me make a lot of changes. Some of them were good and stayed in the book and were, you know, made it way better than it ever was. And some of them we just did not see eye to eye on. Uh, And then I will also never forget the morning that I got another email saying, I'm going to unfortunately pass on this. Uh Um, And I was pretty devastated. And so by then I hadn't sent that book out to anyone. I had sent my previous book out to probably like maybe 20 agents, which is really not that many, you know, compared to what some people do, but they were just the ones I really, really wanted and it didn't happen. And so I started sending it out to agents. And by then, um, Sebastian actually DeCastel came back into my restaurant I told him this story. He knew the agent, because the agent is a pretty big agent, and was like, he must have thought to himself, it can't be that bad if, if this guy almost took it. So he's like, I'll pass it on to my agent, uh, Heather Adams. So he passed it on to her, and, uh, and she picked me up. I, I, got, I really lucked out. And so Heather and I, I mean, I've heard you talk about your sub story, you expected it to be really, really quick. How long was your book on sub again? Uh, which one of us? Both of you? So my first,
0: my first book was on sub for 18 months, and then died. Um, right Scott's was right. nine months I think you said
1: it, it was kind of a, a weird situation It was probably three months Three or four months I had no idea what to expect Right so like I was bugging my agent all the time I'm sure he yeah. hated me at the time <laughs> um, and Maybe still I don't know Yeah. But it, yeah it was three or four months And we had only subbed to like Nine editors And, and we had two or three Rejections by that Three or four month mark but they were really nice and and detailed mm-hmm. in what they'd want to see different. And one was a a hey resubmit if you change a few of these things. So we decided to pull. I worked on it a little more, and then we uh, went back out. So and then it sold within I don't know three yeah.
2: three more months two month
1: yeah two months ish after that
2: yeah. And Sonia, wasn't was the book eaters like a weekend a or week. something like that?
0: Yeah,
2: a week. <laughs> That's amazing.
0: Yeah, that that I don't know. <laughs> It was it was crazy, and <laughs> I was not expecting that because the, the first one is so slow, I think we started getting rejections at the three month mark the first time round, mm. which is more normal.
2: yeah, well, unlike either of you i didn't uh I didn't hear anything back I don't she didn't ask, and I didn't ask either to get to hear any of what was mm. going on. I just kind of got to work um, with Heather. I mean Sebastian gave me some advice before I even talked to her which was have a trilogy in, in, in place because Kings of the Wild was originally just kind of written as a standalone and ultimately kind of still is because I was like I'll have a trilogy in place but I'm not dragging these guys out on another adventure that's kind of the point even though I kind of <laughs> do drag them out but anyway so yeah I, I had a phone call with Heather she took me on we did a little bit of editing with Summertime which um, for aspiring authors who may not know the publishing industry does not operate in the Summertime or at per- all it or Christmas or September or... <laughs> or Christmas or any of the plethora of British holidays that can happen any day of the week. It's tea Thursday or Fridays <laughs> or yeah. Um, yeah. And so, so we, we worked on over the summer. My book was uh, Kings of the Wild was originally 120,000 words. When I finished it, uh, we brought it down to like a svelte 100 K and then we started submitting it. And in September, and then it was in February when we got offers on it.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So so pretty typical. And I mean, I, I think a lot of aspiring authors would be pretty surprised that uh, even a book that you know has succeeded to the level yours has took five months to
2: on sub to find a home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, even even um, after Heather took me on, I did get one email back from an agent because I sent it out to about probably about ten yep. agents after that. After I got that rejection, and one person did get back and she and to offer representation, but I got tons of rejection letters after I already had an agent. So it's just, just not yeah. for everyone, you know. Yeah, we had lucky. We ended up having two offers, and I am so extremely fortunate that we did because someone who you know I was an aspiring author for as long as I was, I would have you know I was willing to take anything to be an author. I really wanted to be one so bad. So the first one that came in was, was like a pretty low offer, and they they didn't like the book kind of as it was they didn't like the comedy aspects of it they didn't like the rock and roll aspect of it um they wanted it called the war band because it was just called the band at the time they were pretty much looking for like joe becrombie light
0: uh, did this person actually like your book
2: <laughs> i guess they were like well he can write but the story sucks shit.
1: <laughs> i hate everything about this that's his i just want the core of it
2: yeah I mean they wanted they wanted moog who's like most people's favorite character right out of the book like excised from the book thankfully an orbit or an author came or an offer came in from orbit at the same time within a week after and it was a better better offer from an editor that loved it just the way it was Uh, and in fact orbit was in this really weird phase at the time they went through for about six months and for some books it worked and for some books it didn't but they were Padding books at the time they wanted books bigger. So when they took me on, they were like, "Can you make it fifty thousand words bigger?" Which 50, never, like as far as I know, never happens. You know, they always want it smaller. Um, so they wanted fifty thousand words bigger. There was about ten thousand uh, words worth of like kind of uh, flashbacky scenes they wanted gone. So in the end. Uh, And I didn't, you know, obviously add any of the words that me and Heather took out because if they could be taken out, they deserved to be taken out. But I essentially just was able to world build a bit more because my book was very, just kind of like, go, 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 go. So Mm -hmm. I world build it a lot more. I added the bad guy who didn't even exist uh, in the first draft when it got sold. And, and yeah, fifty thousand words. And that was the only, the first and only deadline I ever hit in my life was turning that book in. Uh,
0: (laughs) I feel that.
2: at 135,000 words. Yeah. Yeah. Wow,
0: was that uh, was that Lindsay acquiring it? Because I think she was at Orbit at the time.
2: Yeah, and I believe Lindsay was an assistant editor at the time. Yeah. and I could be wrong, but I think it was either her first or second mm. the book that she had taken on herself. Yeah,
0: just, I find it really interesting because um, all the Lindsay authors I know, myself included, I feel like we were sort of project books in a way. Like there, there was a lot of editing to be done. There was a lot of changes, um, which were all good changes. But that's. In some ways relatively rare. I think a lot of editors are maybe a little more shy of asking for that in case you know their vision doesn't align with yours or whatever but I'm not sure I've not I've not worked with other editors really.
2: Why did Lindsay ask you to add words at all to yours as well?
0: I rewrote a full third of book eaters Um, and it wasn't she wasn't saying to add words she was saying your world building basically doesn't make sense which is true I'm a very weak world builder by default. So my whole world building, like I've got my original pitch letter for that book online and it mentions like it it all centers around the Sabbatarians who are a group of people who aren't even in the novel anymore. (laughs) So the the plot and everything changed a ton. Wow. Yeah.
2: I know. And it's kind of scary too, because when you're, if you're doing a rewrite on that scale, you're like, well, will they like what I've done? Yeah. You know? And I know for me, whenever I didn't hear from Lindsay for a few weeks, I was like, oh, She's come to her senses. Yes, <laughs> I'm done. she's my, my career is not going anywhere. She's
0: realized I am four monkeys in a trench coat who stole a laptop. Yes, <laughs>
2: yeah, <laughs> and especially like adding adding fifty thousand words and a bad guy. I was just like, oh boy, I hope this works because, you know, I was I I like worked my ass off to do that, um, and yeah, like thankfully it did. So how much?
1: So how much of that? Uh, I'm just curious because. Editor, author relationships are are very interesting to me. So uh, I'm curious how how much of that you know the the bad guy and those fifty thousand words. How much? How did that work? Right. So like, what did Lindsay say to you and tell you to do versus w- what you decided to do? Does that make sense? Like like was she very prescriptive mm-hmm. in asking for certain things, or was it more uh, along the lines of prompting to to hit certain angles and kind of left left it up to you
2: um that's a great question i think probably when it comes to how Lindsay and i work together is that i often think ideas are mine when in fact they're hers so i could be like i came up with this but looking back maybe she did you know be like hey what about this what about this she's great at doing that and then your own kind of maybe imagination can run away with her prompts. So I I don't think that she suggested the bad guy, but I probably, she was like, well, what else could you do? And I was like, oh, you know, I could add a bad guy because right now it's just like a faceless horde was the, was the enemy. And obviously the bad guy added so much more to my book and, you know, is honestly the crux that moves the whole rest of the series forward. So again, like there's so many times in my, you know, path to publication where I just feel extremely fortunate, but the fact that I got... The the agent that I got because the first agent made me even take out he was like a he was an older British guy that got every single music reference and kind of made me take them all out because he thought everyone would get them like took out Slowhand's nickname because he's like everyone he knows or, uh, that's Eric Clapton's nickname and I was like nobody in the United <laughs> States of America knows really under the age of forty that uh-huh. knows that and so luckily I feel lucky that Heather got like let me put a lot of stuff back in and then that Lindsay just like. You know, saw the book for what it was, which was kind of a risky thing, kind of something that didn't exist in the genre at the time. you know, didn't ask for it to be more grim. There was a couple scenes that orbit like wanted you know toned down a bit that maybe were too a little too outrageous. so one of them went and the rest of them yeah. stayed in yeah. and it was, it was a pretty it was a great process. and I've heard of people who are can be kind of like adversarial with their with their editors. And not out of any spite or not because they've been slighted in any sort of way. It's just the way they work. They're very protective of their own work. I just happen to not be like that at all. I, I will take pretty much anyone's advice. If a guy in the street's like, oh, I read your book. You should do this instead. I'd be like, noted. <laughs> That's um, a good idea. I like to think, uh, yeah, I like to think I'm pretty easy to edit. Obviously, I'll stick to my guns about some stuff. But, uh, but otherwise, I, I'd like to think I'm pretty open to people's suggestions, especially people that obviously are in the industry and and know what's a bit more than I do.
1: That's interesting, though, because you had an editor who wanted your book, but wanted all of the personality cut out of it, right? They wanted all the fun bits that ended up being what made it work, at least for me, right? And I think for most reviewers Mm -hmm. I've seen, that's really what people cling to in your book not you know not that it wouldn't have been good as abercrombie light but i mean what what really put it over the top and and got notice in a very crowded field uh of science fiction and fantasy books is that element so like i don't know sunny and i talked about this yesterday when we talked through our launch experience and how things went and what you know trying to figure out why we think things went a certain way that match between editor and author is extremely important, not just because, you know, they're, they're at a certain imprint or or have a certain name behind them, but that connection with the work and whether they want you and your story or whether they want to fit you into some mold that they already have in mind,
2: right? Yeah, it's very true. Very true. And I mean, yeah, Lindsay's a pretty great editor. And honestly, everyone at Orbit's been, been great about it. And I do feel very lucky because, yeah, maybe... Who's to say how it would have done if it was just an Abercrombie light? I don't know. There could have been some neat things about it, but I think it's 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 like differences were, were what helped yeah. it do as well as it did. And in the interest of uh, transparency, because you two have both been so forthcoming with your, you know, your deals and all that kind of stuff. My deal was, it was a three book deal for $50,000, however, at 17 grand a yeah. book per se, which is, you know, it's not small, but it's not blockbuster mm-hmm. either. And yeah, I mean, I, at the time, it was more money than I'd ever seen. I just finished paying off my student <laughs> loans, so I was pretty I was pretty pretty psyched about it. Obviously, even you, as people may or may not know, you only get a chunk of that, so I got like about 20 grand up front, and I still haven't got the end of it just because I haven't turned in the third book yet. And so yeah, that money's kind of parceled out, and, and you've talked before a little bit about like there's obviously a lot of benefits and negatives to getting you know your advanced size and i can only look at mine in hindsight thinking that a small advance was good because obviously it like it did get some traction yeah. and i did was able, was able to pay it off but yeah i probably wouldn't i'd probably like a bigger one next time <laughs> that's the spirit so Right. Sure. Something to note as well. I was thinking about the other day that, and it's kind of a tricky thing. And I don't like harbor, harbor any like ill will towards my my original agent Heather because she's actually retired now, and I have a new agent. Is that so? The Orbit bought the world rights mm-hmm. to it, yeah. and which once again yeah. is sort of like a can go good, can go bad. If it, the book's doing well, then they're gonna work their ass off to sell it. But if it's not, then you gotta hope your agent, you know, focuses on you enough to also wanna sell it to as many people as possible. But because my agent is in the UK, my deal is like, it's they get 15% for whatever it's called, you know, like home, like deals in your own country, yeah. and then 20% overseas yeah. for foreign things. Well, because Orbit US bought it, it's technically 20% that they get, so. Yeah, I'm kind of locked in that for my whole career now, or for not for my career, but for this whole series. Oh, okay, it's about five, five percent more than the average. That
0: explains to me why so, so many some of the UK agencies use American co-agents. Then is that's kind of a way to get around mm-hmm. it. You almost have like a, a separate American agent.
1: I mean, I mean they could write fifteen percent in the contract if they wanted.
2: <laughs> Let's not pretend they couldn't. Yeah, I mean, looking back, it should be like. 20% yeah. for the UK, US, and then 20% yep. for other places, you know, but.
0: Okay, so, you know, you were obviously working and living like a a non-author life when all of that happened. So did that, how did that change your schedule? Because I think something um, that I've seen you talk about a little bit before and something I know a lot of authors are kind of laboring under is the reality that most people need day jobs and, um, and they can't be layabouts like me and Scott's. So. <laughs> Hey, uh, <laughs> planting fifty trees doesn't count, Scott. That is a lot of trees,
2: Sonny. <laughs> I I am so sore. It definitely didn't happen right away because you know twenty grand isn't an insane amount of money, and I actually went through that relatively quick because yeah. I had lived away from my family for about fifteen years at the time, and and thought and they lived in Ontario, and thought okay, this is a good chance to. My brother had started a family in Ontario. My parents live there and I really miss them. So I'm like, I'll move back there and write my next book there. And so I, you know, once you factor in moving across the country and all that kind of stuff and getting a new apartment, I, you know, maybe for spring and a summer, I didn't work. And then I was like, I need to, I need to get a job again. And I worked in restaurants my whole life. So I I did end up picking up another job at a restaurant in Kingston one a restaurant that I just, it was like a chain restaurant. I hated working there so much. It was, people think, you know, when you're an aspiring author that once you've got your book on your shelf, you're just going to be, you know, in the stratosphere. But, you know, I was, I'd g- read good reviews and then go to work and get written up for not putting an allergy yeah. on a dessert correctly or something like that, you know, so, or, you know, haul a garbage bag and the whole thing would burst on me the day I turned in Bloody Rose. <laughs> yeah. So, it definitely isn't, like, wasn't life-changing right away. If you get, obviously, if you get a bigger advance, that gives you a bit more time to get that second book out the door. But, but for me, obviously, it wasn't. And, and I, honestly, I kind of liked working in restaurants. So I, I still did it. And I did it for another, probably a year after Bloody Rose came out until Kings of the Wild. And it, it, it earned out in about 10 months, I think, or so. But you know, I only get paid once or twice a year. And I have no idea before... That, that paycheck arrives how much of that's going to be yeah once bloody rose came out i got a a royalty check that was enough that i was like okay i can stop working in the restaurant for a while and to this day i have not gone back but you know i'm days away from getting that next royalty statement and about a month before they come in i stop spending money and start living unbelievably frugally just in case people stop buying my book and i have
0: it's funny because like yesterday we recorded this episode me and scott we were talking about how our sales had worked out in the first few months because that was all the information I had. And then literally that night, like the middle of the night, I woke up because I had a notification on my phone that Harper Voyager just, like, deposited money in my account. I was like, okay. So I guess a royalty payment came in, and I had no warning. I had I had no sense before I got paid that I would get paid or how much I would be paid. <laughs>
1: so, Based on your messages um, in, a, in Discord, a, a, you thought it was an accident.
0: <laughs> I, I did. I was like... Why did you leave money in my account that can't be right (laughs) nobody does that
2: yeah no it's a weird thing to to try to budget Mm. your life around like i said i mean i know a lot of authors and some authors that have really had their shit together they kind of rely on like miles cameron is an author who i've met like you know he's been a kind of a mentor to me Mm. and and christian cameron is his real name and he just like is the ultimate like works yes. working writer he's got no angst about it he's got no depression about it he's got no nothing about it he just does it and he's good at it and he pumps out books and he has a family and so many hobbies and travels and just like has all his shit together
0: and he's a great dm
2: and i bet he's a great dm well, actually he has dm me he almost killed he me actually but only <laughs> because of my recklessness but anyways yeah he he kind of like relies on his advances which aren't really that huge but they work for his income and then his royalties if he gets them um are kind of like on top of that where i do not have that luxury so i currently rely on my royalties and yeah every once in a while i'll just like get panicky and think because you just never know you never know what it's going to be i did have an issue where like my spanish royalties hadn't been paid for a couple years so i'm hoping that that pumps this one up a little bit but it, and it's always technically going to go down a little bit every single paycheck so you just don't know how much it's going to go down unless like Daniel Green would lose your book or something like that then it, <laughs> then it goes up but, but yeah it's a real crap shoot and as far as like getting paid and still working like I had a, some friends that were aspiring authors who, who I think were like you know one in particular was like avoiding getting promotions at his job because he was like I'm going to be an author you know hopefully soon and I won't need to And then as soon as he saw me and what my situation was like two books out working at a restaurant he was like i'm taking some promotions wisely um and so that's one of my advice like whenever people ask me for authorly advice or like aspiring author advice it's obviously it's hard Mm -hmm. to give but not to neglect your day job or put all your eggs in the writing basket because you know even in the some of the best case scenarios it's cannot be a life life life-changing
0: no i would echo that completely if you know if you have the option to keep it in my case, there, there wasn't an option because I just wasn't unemployed anyway, um, since being a carer doesn't count as employment. But if I'd had a backup, I would have kept it absolutely cause, <laughs> because it's so much safer. It's a little bit easier in, in the UK because we have free point of use healthcare. So I don't have to worry about that. And that makes a massive difference to my life. But I think if you're in the States, that's really scary to be unemployed or self-employed, <laughs> unless the, yeah. those advanced yeah, checks I mean, are very I, regular.
1: I definitely put way too much hope over the years, especially once I got an agent. Like, I remember when I, got, uh, I, I signed with my agent, I checked out for at least an entire day or two of work because i was like i'm done i made it and like it's just a matter of time <laughs> fuck you Henry, I'm coming in. <laughs> build your own goddamn software you have a bad haircut brad <laughs> 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 yeah fast forward five years uh, and uh, i finally launch and uh, obviously didn't go quite as i was imagining back in 2017 But, I mean, that all goes back to, you know, one of the classic arguments that you see among some readers of, oh, I'm not going to pick up this person's work until they've finished the series or they've finished their trilogy or whatever. And that just drives me fucking insane because they don't understand that, you know, what people who are writing are going through. Like, they assume that—I think somebody would look you in particular up, Nick— on Goodreads or wherever, see the number of people that have reviewed your book. See the number of people that absolutely love your work and talk about it all the fucking time on Reddit and everywhere, as they should because your work is awesome, right? And they would think, oh man, that guy's that guy's got it made, and you know, I can I can trash him wherever I want. And, and this isn't particularly about you, but just authors of that certain level when they don't realize what you know the income really looks like in in quantity and timing. So, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Because I, I don't think many people, even people who know more than most about this industry, understand that.
2: No, this guy still only buys toothpaste if it's on sale. Because... Expensive, <laughs> otherwise. Come on now. Um, but yeah, no, it's a, it's something you just definitely, yeah, you have no idea about. It. I remember even one, but right before my book came yeah. out, um, there was an author who, who's self-published and he's actually found a lot of success self-publishing. And he wrote a book and I was looking for the sequel to it and there was never going to be a sequel to it apparently because, and it was like published by, I forget who, maybe HarperCollins or something like that. And it, it had only sold something like 500 books or 800 books over the course of, a few months and I had no clue that that was a possibility when I was an aspiring author I thought you're on bookshelves everywhere you only hear about you know the millions the you know, hundreds of thousands of sales and stuff like that you just don't hear about the smaller and, and what actually constitutes success obviously as you guys have kind of delved on your show like sometimes it, you, yeah, like all the time. if you tell sell 5,000 copies I know Miles or Christian Cameron if he sells 5,000 copies of a book he's like great perfect did it on to the next one success yeah you just you have no idea so I, I suddenly about two months before my book came out was like Oh, I might fail, you know. I might, you know, I might only sell 500 books ever, or something like that. So,
0: that's maybe a good point. I was going to ask you what what were your launch months like? Because I think, you know, based on how the book was received, it, it probably outperformed its midlist expectations. Uh, that's my guess, or what it looked like to me. Yeah, no, I
2: think it did. I think it. Except, my mom obviously knew it was going to be a huge success, um, <laughs> right from day one but i don't i don't And you know obviously everyone has high hopes for every book but i it wasn't definitely like no one like super pumped its tires it wasn't there was tons of other books that came out that month that got so Mm -hmm. much more more press and more hype and you've talked a bit before too about just having to be your own publicist and so i was involved on you know in a lot of facebook groups i think i was on reddit obviously i started my own website i was on twitter obviously and tried to like you know do as much as i could um, and you just interact with other authors obviously the same as I think everyone every debut does uh, I'm super close to my debut class all the all the, especially the Orbit people that came out with me but also the other like the the Tor folks and the Galance folks that year like you know there's like a bond that you'll never like family forever and so luckily everyone just kind of like helped pump the tires and the book came out and I think it maybe did a little bit better than they expected to right off the bat and I don't know whether it was these Facebook groups that did it I know a lot of people come in there like I only sold nine copies of my book you know or something like that in the first few weeks I'm like don't you have nine friends like are your friends assholes make them buy you know like I've been telling and granted maybe help that I worked in restaurants and had like you know friends over the place and 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 I've been telling everyone that I was going to be an author for 15 years so you're damn right they bought my book when it finally came out so I think I probably got a thousand sales just from friends and family. And my mom just bought, she bought copies for everybody. So did my dad. Like they just went oh. nuts. So, um, yeah. And as a, yeah, I can't point to anything really that, that really helped get the ball rolling, but obviously it did, it did a lot better than I think everyone expected.
1: What, what kind of activity did you get from your publisher, uh, before launch and when it launched? And, and we get, we can, Sunny and I can talk about this as well relative to our books uh, again we just recorded a, an episode her and I yesterday where we talked about this but uh, uh for context we talked about how she got somewhere in the ballpark of what did you estimate 700 to a thousand physical arcs
0: 700 to a thousand physical arcs yeah. for UK and US yeah yeah
1: and like she was included in a a, a few things like uh shelf awareness is the name right Sonia? Yes. It's like this huge yeah. uh, <laughs> industry newsletter. Yeah. Uh, so like, uh, sh-
0: and white box mailings, which I didn't explain at the time, but I will another time. Um,
1: yeah. Tor- yeah. Long story short, Tor did a lot uh, of really awesome things. Tor did a few things for me, but not nearly as many. <laughs> So I'm just curious where you fell in that uh, you know in that spectrum, if you even know.
2: Um, I definitely don't know like a lot of numbers and things like that. I have no idea how many arcs they sent out, but they did seem to send out you know a fair number, and and they asked me who I would like to send arcs to. Maybe because I was also involved in a lot more, like I knew who like who is yeah. like doing reviews and running sites. So I asked them to send them to, to certain people, um, and I honestly I think that those people can matter so much. Out there, there's, a, there's definitely a few people in the mm-hmm. industry that if they like your book and can pump its tires, it just can go flying, you know, like, yep. like Patrick, who has his own, you know, mm-hmm. has his own YouTube channel. At the time, he was just a Goodreads reviewer, but you know, his opinion counts for a lot for, among a lot of people. And yeah, so I think with yes. my first book, it just they just kind of did the average stuff, but or I haven't seen Orbit like go berserk with um, promotional stuff. For anyone really like they seem to do a, a good amount for everybody um obviously i can't speak for everyone yeah. um but i mean for that year they definitely did set up a lot of events with me and my fellow debuts and yeah i felt i felt that everything was, was pretty great they set up a lot of interviews with me and a lot of blogs and so yeah I, th- I felt that i was pretty well taken care of on that front they definitely by the time bloody rose rolled around because kings of the wild had done so good they, they went Nuts on it, and did a lot of great promo. Like they did, like the audiobooks, Like codes were sent out in cassette tapes. It was all '80s themed. Uh, they made T-shirts with the band, with the bands like or like the um, cities on the back where Bloody Rose's band would go through. Uh, bookmarks shaped like concert tickets that were awesome. Um, yeah, and That's obviously amazing. there was just a lot more demand for that kind of stuff. I don't think it was necessarily that, you know because the book was going to probably sell anyway by that point, but there was just a lot of, you know, demand for it, and you might as well capitalize on it while an author's hot, I think.
0: And that's creating stuff for for kind of um, Instagram as well, when you're kind of doing that stuff, because people will take pictures of their band shirt and their, their concert tickets, and that I think there's a, a level there that you're, you're accessing, I guess, as well. Yeah, very swag. true.
2: And also, I kind of thought of something else that maybe kind of helped that groundswell was god another piece of sage advice would be if you're going to write a book write one that inspires fan art um how to do that i don't know yes. but i also got extremely <laughs> lucky there like this one one guy felix ortiz kind of got the ball rolling uh i remember the first time i saw this picture i was scrolling down facebook and i was like ah, kind of looks like something from my book and sure enough it was and i was just blown away and i think once and he did a, a lot of pieces of fan art and then Eventually funny enough, Lindsay got him to do a co- a covers for tour and now he does covers all the time. Wow um, and so he just got the ball rolling and, and people just once they see other fan art, they do it and I think fan art can play a huge role in getting people to, to read to read your book because obviously if it, if it meant that much to someone an artist that they're willing to spend their time and energy and creativity on it, then that it must be worth worth reading. Mm. so I think that helped a lot.
0: Yeah, so I mean, I know you had a, a really good first experience. With, with kind of Lindsay and Orbit. And I think Orbit generally has uh, a good reputation for basically having a functioning midlist. Um, but obviously, Lindsay doesn't work at Orbit anymore, and she now works at Tor. So what was that like to basically have your editor leave? Because that is very common in the industry for people to be orphans as editors chomp and chomp. Yeah, I've heard a lot. Well, and it
1: sounds like you were orphaned by your agent a little bit as well too, right? Uh, yeah. yeah. Not yeah. necessarily orphaned, but you changed, She put right?
2: me into good hands actually with my agent. She, uh, I mean, she said, I'm retiring. She's actually, she was going to Oxford, she got accepted to Oxford. Um, and oh, wow. so she was like, I'm going to pursue this dream. But she basically was passing all her authors on to a new agent. That if we didn't want to go with them, we didn't have to. Yeah. But the agent ended up being a guy named John Wood, who used to run Glantz and now works for an agency. So he and he and, he and I got get along oh, great, cool. and he's super he's super cool, and we have a lot of things in common. So I love him. But with editors, yeah, with Lindsay, like Lindsay obviously was a huge sounding board while I was writing Bloody Rose, and a therapist, as mm-hmm. you know, we, you may know, Cindy, Yes. she's great at that. <laughs> um, so too, thankfully, Art is my new editor, and yeah. So it was kind of a shame because about two months before I was supposed to hand it in, which I should say it's about five months before I was supposed to hand it in, um, but two months before my next deadline, uh, yeah, she she got headhunted and went to tour, and so for a while I was editorless, and actually that worked phenomenal for me because I was, you know, still furiously working on this book and didn't want to, you know, rush it. And I was like, oh, the longer it takes for me to get an editor, the longer I have to work on it. This is great. And when I did get a new editor, whose name is Bradley Englert at Orbit, um, who's also fantastic and we have a ton in common and he's been a wonderful therapist and a great friend. He was just like, you know, especially when you get a new author and the author, like hey, hey I, my book's done really well, so he was like, hey, I'm here whenever you're done it. So I was like, great, I'll send it to you when I'm done. <laughs> and so. Yeah, I had about two more months after that of leeway um, to to finish it and hand it in, and and yeah, and then but that time I had um I had a UK editor as well named Emily Byron who I think for the first book like she kind of didn't do like we didn't have definitely had no contact with her besides like saying hello and and I don't think she made any like changes to it we didn't really interact very much but when it came time to turn in bloody rose uh, at that point i had both editors and turned it into them both at the same time they both read it they both gave notes, which was an awesome experience and i got along well with both of them and, and hopefully when i turn in out empire it'll be exactly the same and they'll both still be there fingers crossed they still are i think emily's had two kids in the time she's like uh oh, sorry i won't be your editor anymore and i'm like uh, oh, you might still be nine months from now You hang in there. (laughs) I'll I'll, I'll wait for you. (laughs) I'll I'll slow down a bit. I'll slow down a bit. Um, And so, yeah, they're both still my editors, and uh, thankfully. And I'm really excited. I hope I hope they're still there when uh, when I turn this book in. I hope they're still alive. Actually, by the time I'm the rate I'm going.
1: (laughs) Well, I for one, Nick, really appreciate hearing about an author who isn't turning out books. You know, every few months and has still found the right, same, yeah, and has still found a, a solid level of success, uh, in the industry because that seems to be what you hear about more often than not. You know, the old uh, adage is just, you know, if you're worried about how your current book's doing, just write another one, and there's nothing else you can do besides turn out a ton of work. But it's nice to know that's not the only model.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm, I, once again, I'm fortunate because I am incapable of doing that. So, you know, I this time next month, if that paycheck shows up and it's not uh, what I hope it is, then I, it's back to, you know, the keg. They are working at restaurants for me, so.
0: Well, we're kind of coming up on an hour. I mean, we can take as much time as you need, but we, we have a couple of questions from our Discord, and one of them is, is from Michael Mama, who wants to know when book three is coming out, since you're talking about um, writing. Well, no
2: time soon, unfortunately. I wish it was. <laughs> I mean, I, I keep, i have definitely, st- obviously, very struggled with writing it since it's been a few years, and I basically just kept writing the beginning over and over and over and over again. And a lot of the time, if I'm having trouble with it, chapter, or it's just like, I can't, you know, move forward in the hit, in the past, I've kind of had to go back a few chapters and, and realize that I've gone down the wrong path and start over. And so that's kind of what I kept doing until finally recently, and actually I haven't even told my editors this yet, and I'm sure they will be both happy and uh, distressed <laughs> to learn, that I restarted over with a new main character uh, instead of the person that has been the main character for the last four or five years. Um, and i mean it's early days yet but it's going pretty good and i feel pretty great about it and uh, I'm, I'm pretty psyched about it so hopefully that was the problem and uh, and here we go so it'll maybe out in a month so. as <laughs> well
0: where, where do you go from here what's after uh, the kings of the wild and all the other yeah, the band their adventures are done
2: yeah, uh, I mean, time. after the third book is out, um, yeah. I definitely have another idea for like a, a series, probably a trilogy that is very, you know, similar, but different, which is what a lot of people and probably editors would love to hear because you obviously don't want to read the same thing forever, but you don't want it to go straight too far from what made you success in the first place. So yeah, I've got a, yeah. what I think is a really, really good idea. Um, that's a lot of fun and funny and a little bit different, but just, just enough. But I would also love to write, like I just wrote my first comic book recently uh, loved it. It's something I put off for a long time because I was just like, I don't have time. I was so stressed out about about hitting deadlines and stuff like that. And then eventually, the stress just kind of like boiled over, and I reached reached a state of zen that just like you know prioritizing happiness over stress. And so now I'm I kind of do try to make time for do do other creative pursuits, and I think it can help a lot. Cause when I wrote that comic book, like it was so fun, it was so like it was so easy, and when you're writing for so many years and like not producing anything uh you can kind of feel stunted so for me it was a great way to feel you know refreshed again and so i don't feel that it's something that gets in the way of my writing i hopefully it'll be therapeutic for it and helpful
0: awesome scott would you like the honor of reading ryan's question
2: okay
1: so (laughs) ryan rose who hopefully will have a book deal here pretty soon and uh you know more people will Fingers, he crossed, is, or worse. Fingers crossed. Yeah, he he wants to know what your favorite class is. I take it
2: like DD D D character wise, yeah.
1: I would guess so. I full disclosure, I I've never played D D ever.
2: The upper class. Upper class. Yeah,
1: one <laughs> <The> percent. <1%. Yeah. laughs> you know the folks on Succession? Those people. <laughs> um, yeah. You've never played D D ever not one time in my life
0: scott we have to fix that you're gonna play D with me at an online con you're, you're committed now <laughs> okay
1: don't, i mean okay but it's your fault if i embarrass you
0: <laughs> yeah it'll be fine what we'll, we'll get like we'll get christian cameron to dm
2: <laughs> Beware! don't run into any houses filled with gunmen because he's gonna shoot you yeah uh, <laughs> that's what happened to me um my favorite class. I mean, I kind of like all of them as long as you kind of put a spin on them. But obviously, I'm partial to bards. I'm a huge fan of those. They're a lot of fun. Jack of all trades. The classic fighter is great.
1: <laughs> so, are we just going to go through and name them all? I don't know how many there are, but but it. Sa- oh, there's a few. It sounds like you're naming them all.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, God.
1: <laughs> Am I, I'm already embarrassing you. See.
0: <gasps> That's fucking jock <laughs> hey i mean oh.
1: i i i grew up reading a lot of fantasy a lot of science fiction i am a bona fide nerd that makes it worse that that just you haven't never... played dnd you obviously
2: know mages exist I, I mean
1: yeah there you go actually uh thanks nick uh, <laughs> yes I do know that mages exist but they also exist outside of that world right that I mean just however it worked yeah I mean I also grew up playing sports and whatever else and I just didn't have friends that played it I guess and it it, it I'm at the point it, you know the whole like I don't know what that is and at this point I'm afraid to ask that's kind of where <laughs> that's kind of where I'm at I'm like oh. I don't really want to di- dig into it because you know, it sucks to be the the new guy who doesn't know what's going on. But yeah, I'll try anything. Yeah, no, it's... it's true. I mean, if you don't, I mean,
2: I, I owe my entire D and D you know playing career to one friend. Yeah. Uh, that I met in high school, and if I hadn't met him, I probably wouldn't have played it. Yeah. Who knows how different my life could have gone if I hadn't. So. You might have written
0: Abercrombie <laughs> Light <laughs> instead. Thanks, <Fred>. Yeah. Might <laughs> have
1: <Yeah. Yeah. laughs> yeah, might have written Abercrombie Light or yeah. Mm. yeah. Who knows. You, you could have gone and uh, done an engineering degree like me and realized halfway through that that was not what you wanted to do with your life. <laughs> that was brutal. I hated that so much, engineering. Um, but
2: I believe Ooh, there was also a second part to Ryan's question you mentioned before we uh, started. <laughs> yeah, you, you got to read the full question. Make... Your favorite part. Well,
1: I mean, <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. I if you wanted that, yeah, okay. So yeah, we'll,
0: we'll he said, question.
1: ask him what his favorite class is. Tell him I love him. And then at, <laughs> ask him if Ren is the MC of book three or simply in the party.
2: Um, well, let's try to keep some things under wraps. Well, that's, what, that's so, why I
1: wasn't going to ask that question. I, I felt like yeah, it was yeah, getting yeah, I mean, a little the too The thing deep. is,
2: if you like, ask me five months from now, I'll be like, oh, it's so-and-so. Yeah. So I'm going to answer this in a, in a way that I hope is intriguing, is that over the course of the previous two books, two couples have children have a child one of those kids was the main character for the last five years the other one is now the main character which one is it is who knows uh but Ren is in the party uh actually the cover of the book has been done for about four years unfortunately and it looks incredible (laughs) they did it before I pretty much even started writing I just gave them character descriptions and so now I'm locked into those characters obviously Uh, (laughs) but it looks amazing and and thank thank god uh, the main character is on the cover so
1: I do, I do think Ooh, your, okay. uh, I do think your your strategy of the generation shift between books is really interesting, and I've I've seen something like it a few times, but it's not common at all.
2: No, I think it's a little bit of a risk too, because especially when you write a, the first book and it's just like five old dudes, yeah. a lot of your readers that you attract are old dudes, um, and so when the second book comes out and it's about a 17 year old lesbian they are you know some of them aren't as receptive as others um, but at the same time you've got an opportunity to get a lot more fans if they haven't been turned off by the fact that you wrote about five old dudes in your first book yeah um so but i mean that was something me and lindsay talked about beforehand you just got to write the book that you want and the characters that you love mm-hmm. and and uh, hope that people love them too and, and honestly like yeah the the fan mail I get about Bloody Rose is as is, is, is touching or more than the fan mail I get about Kings of the Wild. They're both a particular brand of poignant.
0: Yeah, well thank thank you so much for writing it because when I read Kings of the Wild I realized how much I'd missed writing humor. Um, because Book Eaters is just so depressing and <laughs> serious. So um it was such a it was such a breath of fresh air, really kind of I guess inspires me to try and write a little bit lighter in future Um, and yeah thank you for talking to us as well
2: well my pleasure thanks for having me I hope I haven't uh, you know rambled on for too long
0: no not
1: at all all. no well I mean
0: that's Scott's job hey (laughs) (laughs) you've been listening to the publishing radio podcast with Sonny Dean and Scott Drakeford tune in next time for more in-depth discussion on everything publishing industry see you later